Welcome to season seven of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly presented by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrduct.com. This week, we feature ESPN anchor and host of NBA Tonight, Cassidy Hubbard. And so I go up to him um, and I'm so nervous. Like, I think my like mic was shaking. And I just asked my first question. I said, uh, what do you hope to improve on in first quarter play? And I think I said it like 50 miles an hour. <laughs> like I just, like I look back on it and it was, I mean, I just spit it out. This native of Evanston, Illinois has been very prominent in recent years, being a major contributor to NBA Tonight. You saw her often during the season and playoffs, but her career began in part due to an illness in her family. One move led to another, and today she's become a premier talent who's juggling motherhood along with playing out a dream. Or was it her dream? So, Cassidy Hubbard, tell me a story I don't know. Look, this this dream career that um, I that I have right now um, didn't actually start as my dream. Um, it started as my parents' dream, and it's actually what brought them together from two different nations. Uh, my mother came over from the Philippines in her early twenties, all by herself, knowing very little English, um, with the dream of becoming the first female director in the Philippines. Um, and, you know, she, her, her vision was to come over to the Philippines, get a degree and go back to, to where my, my Lolo and my Lola were and uh, to start a career there. Um, but, you know, she found her way to Columbia College in Chicago where she met a young man who was, you know, a cook at the Playboy Club in Chicago during the day and um, studying production with hopes to be a cameraman for the Cubs one day. Um, and they had one class together in which they put to put on a 30 minute newscast each day. Um, and, you know, they, they thought they were working towards something, but both working full time jobs as well as trying to pay for college eventually, you know, reality supplanted the dream and they started a new dream together by starting a family having my two brothers and me um but i always had this pull towards media throughout my childhood before i really even understood it and you know i decided even in middle school when i was 11 or 12 years old that you know i wanted to be in media and i really didn't look back and i truly think it's because of the connection that brought my parents together um and you know I, I feel that in my passion for this business that it's in my blood and you know i'm thankful for all the sacrifices my parents made in order for me to you know not just realize my dream but maybe even realize their dream so um you know I, so i guess that's a story that not many people know that you know my dream started as my parents dream so with your dad aspiring to be a cameraman for the Cubs, am I to assume then you're a Cubs fan? 
Oh yeah, we're Cubs fans. I'm actually, <laughs> me and my husband have season tickets, but really? I meant to sit in these said season tickets, which is like pretty, because we got, we actually, he put out himself on the list 20 years ago. Um, and if like came up right before the pandemic and he was like, I got to do it. I go, do you got to do it? And he goes, I got to do it. And so um, he bought them and we've had them. And I, because of, you know, my travel schedule, I have yet to sit in them. Uh, but they seem like very nice seats. I do know that you're a big Bulls fan. Yes. Um, off the record, but actually on the record. You know, <laughs> I, got, I got to keep my uh, journalistic integrity. But of course, like, I mean, I think everyone who covers sports grew up being fans. Um, you know, that's kind of how you get involved in covering sports is because there is a fandom um, behind, you know, the, the eagerness and, you know, passion to cover these athletes. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up in Evanston, Chicagoland area during the nineties. And I don't know who had a greater impact on pop culture, at least in my world than, than, you know, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win it! They win it! Set the Cleveland Cavaliers! Michael Jordan hits it at the foul line! One to 100! Jordan ties the game. Oh, boy. 63 points, and you're looking at an all-time record. The look away to Levingston. Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! How many of their games have you worked, and when you worked them in Chicago, if you did, yeah. is it a little tougher? Um, no, I love it. I mean, because that means I can always get my parents' tickets. Um, <laughs> or the Milwaukee games, you know, I always try to, you know, find tickets for my parents to come, and um, I don't find it to be harder. So it's interesting because I, you know, I have to, I'm, being a national reporter, I, I'm all over the country, and it also depends on, on, on which channels. You know, when I first started at ESPN, I was how I often refer to myself as a house cat. You know, I, I normally just, I, I hosted. Um, I didn't, up until the point of joining ESPN in 2010, I really didn't do much reporting. Um, I was really mainly a host. So both these teams struggling, so we thought, let's get to the root of the problem and put the Pacers on the couch, starting with Frank Vogel. Coach, your team is five and seven in your last 12 games. What's wrong with your team? It starts with our defense. Our defense has just been... And um, I hosted NBA Tonight for a few years, as you mentioned. Um, and then when that went away, um, you know, my boss was like, hey, do you want to give sideline reporting a, a shot? Here with Jason Kidd and, and Coach, that was a quarter of runs. What was the difference between the way you started that quarter and how you guys finished? Well, we talked about it at halftime. Golden State's one of the best third, third quarter teams in the league. And so... You know, to, to basically be a rookie reporter covering the NBA on the national level um, was, you know, it was, I was thrown in the fire and literally like my first game was on Christmas day and my first, you know, interview during the game was with Greg Popovich. So, but just like how I learned on the spot with, um, you know, at ESPN, because, you know, hosting at ESPN is a whole different world. There's a lot going on when you're sitting in those sports center chairs of how to deal with research, deal, deal with breaking news. Like I, it's taken a, a long time to kind of understand how my environment 
out in the field works, you know, knowing the different PR people, knowing um, what to do when a player is injured, where I'm allowed to go, and you know, like, how, like wh what kind of questions I'm allowed to ask, um, and even where bathrooms are, <laughs> so I can maybe you know run during a timeout um, if I you know have to run to the bathroom. Just kind of understanding different arenas and my environment and being able to slow down all of the chaos happening around me so I can focus on the game and focus on um, kind of, you know, getting from point A to point B to, to do my job as efficiently as possible. But now I want to get back to the first interview because that's probably the toughest interview anybody can get. How did Greg Popovich, who kind of chews and spits out reporters, San Antonio's Greg Popovich, what did you see there in the first 12? As soon as we substituted, it went to crap. Pop, thank you, Mike. We got to do this in the preseason? Are you kidding me? Part of the contract. In the preseason, we got to do this? Well, the preseason? We have to rehearse to get ready. I need to practice. <laughs> God, okay. What was your biggest okay, challenge good. during this preseason? Oh, my gosh. Uh, getting to the restaurant on time. I had kind of an easy introduction to him because I was doing the game with PJ Carlesimo who was on his staff you know he made an introduction and when we because we, we usually sit down with coaches before the games and kind of get um, the lowdown on what's happening with their teams and so PJ was like hey you gotta you gotta take it easy on my girl and he goes and then he goes into this whole rant Pop, Greg Popovich that is and how he doesn't like these interviews and we're like, of course, like really, no one really likes these interviews, but we do them because it's access and sometimes you do get great answers. And, you know, it's all part of the, the package that, and, and, and deal that, you know, the NBA has with its TV networks. So you gotta do it. And to take it out on like the, you know, lowest person on the totem pole is, you know, not right, but he's, he, he uses those moments to kind of, or he used to, um, to kind of, you know, make a protest against the league for not doing it. But he told me, he goes, there's only two questions that, you know, you should be asking in those, those interviews. What didn't you like? And what do you hope to improve on? Because, <laughs> you know, you're not going to, I'm not going to give away strategy and it just, I, you're, you're asking my observations. I'm like, all right, okay, okay. But it was Christmas day. So, and I came from, you know, hosting a NBA tonight, which was kind of like a fun, like we like to do a lot of plays on certain things that were happening in the league and kind of just like makes jokes and, and light of things. And because it was Christmas, I was like, all right, well, maybe I can kind of like get him to smile. So getting ready, you know, I, I had him in the first quarter, which is way better than having him in the third quarter because, you know, first quarter is just one quarter down and it's not heading into a decisive fourth quarter. So I'm like, okay, good. But as the time was winding down in the first quarter, they were losing and not playing very well. So I'm like, oh man. And so I go up to him um, and I'm so nervous. Like, I think my like mic was shaking and I just asked my first question. I said, uh, what do you hope to improve on in first quarter play? And I think I said it like 50 miles an hour. <laughs> like I just, like I look back on it and it was, I mean, I just spit it out. And he actually gave me an answer. Um, it wasn't a long answer, but he said pick and roll defense, which is an answer. And I don't, you know, I don't care. You don't need to go on and on and on. Just give me an answer and, you know, um, you know, have your body language be respectful. And so then I'm like, all right, well, I've been practicing this whole thing for a while. And I go, all right, I'm going to, I said, all right, for Christmas, because it's the holidays, I'm not going to ask you a second question. 
as a gift. And he smiles and he goes, thank you. So I got him to smile and it was a bit of a moment. <laughs> but I think me getting that uh, second, like whatever, kitschy thing out, like took longer than me asking the first question. <laughs> but I think it was a, like, I, it was better than it being a third quarter in the playoffs um, first first uh, interview with Greg Popovich because I had the whole holiday spirit thing on my side. I, I don't want to make him the measuring stick, but you've interviewed so many uh, yeah. coaches through all of this in that little short span now that I think every sport is doing. Are there ones that are just, you look forward to and say, this guy's a great interview and this is going to be easy and others who you kind of dread? You know, really dread I mean Greg Popovich is obviously because people are looking out for it specifically to see like how he's going to treat you mm -hmm. I think this is in his own camp um I, I look forward to talking to Doc Rivers because he's very thoughtful um and he always you know is um very honest in his interviews uh even you know during the game and you know he knows media like he was part of the media and so he knows like how important we are to the business of the game. And so and he's I, also a local guy as well. Yes, he is. He is. And so I just have, I have a lot of respect for, for Doc Rivers um, is also someone who, you know, uses his platform to speak up on things that, you know, um, are important and matter to him. People I dread, I don't know. I, I used to dread Brad Stevens when he was a coach. Cause he, really? Yeah, like he would get, he sometimes would get very, um, I don't know, he's a bit mercurial. Like he, uh, he, he, if he, if they were down, he will get, he would get short with you, but, but still respectful. Like he would never, um, he would never like disrespect me on, on, on camera, but he would let you feel, he would let you feel like, you know, make sure you're putting a lot of thought into these questions. Um, and you know, same same with with Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is an extremely competitive person. As we, I mean, you don't win that many championships and are that big of a winner without being an extremely competitive person. And while he is a delight and a wonderful person, his his um his competitiveness during the games can sometimes like, you know. Like just make make me sit up a little straighter when I'm talking to him, if that makes any sense. Because it, do, it does, and and I will tell you, he is a. I agree with you, a delightful person because I've interviewed him many times when he was a member of the Chicago Bulls, yes. and I don't think any of us ever thought that this was going to be the direction he would take and be a preeminent coach in yeah. so many ways. Right, but he, you know, and there is there is like a this um, bone in his body that we're like he. Like when he is in a when he is in the championship mode, like the, these playoffs, when Draymond Green got ejected mm -hmm. um, in Memphis, I waited for him outside. Which I, you know, I, at halftime, I I can choose one coach or the other to have like get a couple off-camera questions with, and um, he clearly was not happy about the ejection, um, and I asked him, you know how are you going to adjust uh, in the second half? And he, you know, he really didn't give me an answer. He just kind of gave me a look um, because, and that's kind of all I needed to know <laughs> that he just wasn't happy. And that's how I have to report it. Like these emotions run so high in this game. I think people like love to not think of 
athletes or coaches as, as real human beings, but, um, and with the emotions as high as they are. And, um, he, you know, that's, that's another time where I've seen his, his competitiveness. Like he's a, he's a former player. So, you know, he's out on that court battling with them, even if he's on the sidelines. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCK. That's 888-497-3828. And Mr. Duck is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duck works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duck. 888 for Mr. Duck. That's 888-497-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Do you believe in this day and age, Cassidy, that women who are in your position have to be, in effect, more glamorous because your audience is mainly men? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that, you know, um, as much as I, I just, I, I, you know, I think there is, it's harder for women <laughs> to dress up, you know, like, I wish there was a uniform for women like there is for men. I wish I could just wear a suit and right. change out my shirt and change out my tie. Um, I wish I didn't have to, you know, wear a different outfit um, every time I'm on air because if I wear a repeated outfit, someone will, you know, text me or, or someone will tweet me like, hey, you know, didn't you wear that? You know, um, They're re- they really do that. I, but I, I mean, that's just like also women in general, people you know, put an emphasis on, um, women's looks over, you know, like, um, over men, like that's just a tale of old time. I, like I, you know, I think being in the public eye, um, I just pay attention to fashion and I enjoy makeup. I think like makeup is become a part of pop culture too. Um, you know, like just the makeup industry has exploded as well as like, um, the fashion industry and, like keeping up with that and making sure I'm presentable um, is, I think, something that is just like an offshoot of 
being on camera. Um, but it's not something that I feel pressured to do. I, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy um, doing my makeup. I enjoy at times finding different outfits, but it's not, you know, it's not something that like I'm thinking I have to be, to use your words, glamorous. But what's more important is what you deliver and credibility. And certainly you've for much many, many, many years now have certainly proven that. And so have so many women in this industry. I've interviewed uh, a number of them for this podcast. Women have become so much more a part of our industry today and not just sideline reporters. Lisa Byington, who I interviewed for this podcast, of course, is now the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Sky. And Laura Oakman, who is not only a sideline reporter, but one who wonders why women aren't in management more. I mean, I feel like every advancement that is celebrated, I also am um, torn because I feel like it's not enough. Um, and I want to get to the point where it's not being celebrated and, and it's the norm. Um, you know, like having these conversations, like often when I, you know, do interviews or um, uh, talking to people about the business, a lot of it is focused on, hey, you know, what's it like being a woman in a male dominated industry? And I will have to say, like, I have a lot, I work with a lot of women. And so I think my feeling is like people just need to change their perspective that, you know, yes, there's, there should, there needs to be more women, but it's not something new that women are working in this industry. Um, and that we're, you know, you have some of the biggest stars, um, as women in this industry. I mean, just look at the NBA alone, Doris Burke may be our biggest star on our, like, uh, on our game. She's terrific. And, uh, Malika Andrews is leading, you know, our, arguably our number one, host um right now you know on nba today and you know we we lisa salters um you know is the as our top sideline reporter on both the nfl and nba and so um it's hard to me like like while i appreciate the the notion of you know wanting it to be talked about that women you know are making advancements i just I, I sometimes I get frustrated by the conversation even because I just feel like the conversation is not even like telling the true story. It, it, I feel like people are saying, well, you know, we're, we're getting there and we are getting closer, but it's like, I just don't think it's, it's speaking to how much women are a part of the fabric of sports media. And it's just, it's, I think it's like being overshadowed by the fact that, you know, like men get paid more, <laughs> you know, I, I like, I just, uh, I want to celebrate it, but also I want it to be just understood that women belong and have been in big seats for a while and um, are staking their claim in this business as well. I'm not sure how many people know that you were a three sport athlete at Evanston Township High School and a very good one in soccer. Did you ever, ever consider a career in the sport? Um, no. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even want to play soccer in college. I got recruited to play soccer in college. Um, you know, the big thing about that was I was fairly good at soccer, um, but I probably could have been better if I focused just on soccer. Um, and I think, and that was a, a big issue at the time because I played three sports and basketball was my favorite sport. I wasn't, I was better at soccer 
by the time I was a, a junior and senior than I, than I was at basketball because I didn't work on my basketball. I didn't work on my dribbling. I didn't work because I got, I, I was placed on the sophomore team my freshman year, then the varsity team my sophomore year. And I rode the bench and didn't get a lot of playing time. So I didn't really um, get better, I think, at basketball. But I did get better at soccer. And the soccer people wanted me to play club. Um, and like there was this whole club soccer um, community that, you know, I just kind of didn't get involved in. And they, they had a lot to do with like the politics of, you, you know, the awards that were handed out and then also with the recruiting for college. And I just didn't, I didn't love the, the soccer community. <laughs> and I just didn't see myself. I knew that if I were to play soccer in college, um, and there, and I wasn't getting recruited by colleges that I, you know, um, really wanted to go to academically, it would be my whole life. And I just didn't love soccer as much. So, so yeah, that's why my, my, uh, my playing career ended in, in high school. And I started, you know, pursuing my, my career covering sports at that point. If you want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Sports Media Watch on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. We return with Cassie Hubbard on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I want to take you back to a very special moment. It's not broadcasting. It was your commencement speech to the 2021 graduating class at Evanston Township, where you are, of course, an alum. It was very different, to say the least. Yeah, it was special. You know, like I, I felt for those kids because, you know, it was a, it was a dream of mine to do the commencement speech. Um, I'd been talking to, you know, people who were deciding uh, the commencement speakers each year. And unfortunately, you know, graduation is always during the playoffs. And so it was hard for me to, you know, do the commencement speech and also for it to not conflict with playoff games. Um, so I, when they asked me to do the commencement speech and that it was still going to be over Zoom, I was like, I have to do it. I felt, I felt so bad for these, these kids not like losing two years of their high school life you know, and, and being in having their commencement on, on a computer screen. And so I just, you know, I thought, how could I make this stand out? And um, I actually, you know, hired one of the PAs that I worked with on, on hoop streams. And I was like, can you help me edit like this video, my speech and add some, you know, fun graphics. So it just stands out from like just someone talking on, uh, on zoom for in their, you know, commencement. So you know, I, I think it turned out okay. I got some, I got some, you know, some students who reached out and I, like, that's all I really wanted to make it somewhat feel special to them after what was probably really, really difficult couple of years for them not being able to experience their, you know, junior and senior year of high school, which to me was like two of the greatest years of my life. I, you know, ETHS really defined like so much of who I am and what I'm proud about myself. I saw it, Cassidy. I have to say, in sports terms, it was a game-winning three-pointer from half court. Thank you. 
I appreciate that. Congratulations, class of 2021. You did it. Now I know this is not what you envisioned when you thought of your high school graduation, watching from home on a screen, listening to a commencement speaker give her words of wisdom in her blazer and turtleneck from her bedroom. And I know it may not feel real at this moment, but in time, you all will realize all that you have conquered. But know this, who you are becoming is more important than who you have been. And being an ETHS graduate, as I can attest, will always be a part of you. Congratulations, class of 2021. We're all so proud of you. What was the response you got? I know you got it from some of the, the students, but people who see it, because it, it's, it's on YouTube. It's, it's, when I said it's different, it is. Most people don't just produce something like that. You did. It worked. Thank you. I mean, it, I don't know. I like, I actually, um, I had like a, a warm up. Like, they gave me um, the uh, alumni award a few years ago, and so I was able to kind of like work off of of that and had some able to like dig up some core memories of at ETHS um, to kind of help me work into the commencement speech and. You know, I don't know. I just, I think a big reason why I was successful is because I feel strongly about how ETHS helped me like chase my dreams and provided so many opportunities for me to explore this thing that I knew was inside me and, you know, like n never look back. I mean, being able to be a part of the radio television film club in high school and call bas got boys basketball games at the time um, and to have that footage and then to be able to kind of show my growth from that period to, you know, interviewing LeBron. I think like that's um, those, I think those are the takeaways that I think resonated with people to see that like, hey, I was, I was you once at ETHS, walking those hallways, having a dream. And, you know, like this world can be scary, but, you know, if you just keep your head down and work hard, you can, you can achieve, you can achieve your dreams. And I think that's like, I think that's, I hope um, what, what they took away from it. You started your media career in Chicago, but it had nothing to do with sports. Yeah. It didn't. I went to Northwestern after going to U of I for a year. Um, and Northwestern, as much as e ETHS, you know, set the table for me to uh, basically chase this, this dream of mine, Northwestern is really what was the launching pad for, for my career. Um, and I actually got my first two jobs at the job fair um, my senior year at Northwestern. And one of them was with this company called Navtech, um, which is basically like a traffic information system. It's like a mapping system. And Navtech hired me as like a traffic producer. So I'd listen to scanners and call different um, police departments when I saw like a backup on the mapping system to see if there were accidents. And I would put it into these systems for, you know, people's um, navigation systems. And then also for WMAQ um, who outsourced their traffic information. Um, and also we did the traffic reports out of our like 
little studio where we were actually, sure. yeah, um, <laughs> gathering all the traffic information. And because, uh, you know, I express interest in of being on camera, they said, you can do weekend traffic reports, which really the weekend traffic reports were like, which festivals were setting, were, you know, closing down certain streets and um, me having to give like alternative routes. Now, the funny thing is, is anyone who knows me, most, like mostly my husband would tell you that I don't know where I'm going ever. <laughs> like oh, I, you, you and me both. I, I am, I am, if not for maps, whether it's Google Maps or whatever, I could go up instead of down. Oh, my yeah. wife is great. We would get to a stop and I would say, which way to go? I'm going to go left. She goes, good choice. It's 50-50. You made the right one. <laughs> I am telling you, I can go into a gas station and come out the wrong way. I Some know. of us just are challenged. Well, it's just like, I, like I, I'm also too reliant on, on navigation systems. Instead of paying attention to where I am, I'm like, I'm just paying attention to like right turn, left turn, exit, you know, 0.2 miles. Um, I think, you know, I think that's a lot of people these days, but yeah, so I, you know, I was a part of that, um, in the morning. So I would arrive around like 4am at the office there. And then I would, I would work the scanners and throughout the morning until about, um, 8am. Um, and then I would go to my other job that I got at the Northwestern job fest which was a company called Intersport, which was a sports production company mm -hmm. and i was um working on content uh for sprint mobile phones like before uh basically you know we had our smartphones and everyone had flip phones sprint hired Intersport to create like on-demand netflix style content for their their sprint users and so we were creating like little sports reports and little music reports and celebrity news that people could kind of flip open their phone, toggle down and watch like a five minute video on their, on their flip phone. Um, so, and then obviously uh, the recession happened and um, that was no longer, but it was, we were ahead of our time sprint exclusive entertainment um, and intersport, but I was doing those two jobs simultaneously, uh, traffic in the morning and then um, intersport during the day. So that, those were the days. Among your stops in this business before you wound up at ESPN was the Big Ten Network. Yeah. And you worked with a guy who was a guest on this podcast and a pretty damn funny one in Dave Revson. Oh, man. Yeah. I also worked with Dave at intersport. And he actually introduced me to um, my first agent, which got me my first big break um, on air. So Dave Rebson has a huge part of um, my career trajectory because I met him because he was one of our hosts for our um, March Madness content that we were creating for uh, the Sprint Exclusive Entertainment. And so I got to know him because I was you know, a PA at the time. Um, helping him and I expressed that like I you know wanted to be on on air and he you know introduced me to his agency and after Sprint Exclusive Entertainment you know um, was shut down because of uh, Sprint getting hit hard during um, the recession I was able to 
find a job quickly after that um, at Fox Sports South in Atlanta covering SEC football. He really, really had a huge impact on my on my career, you know, allowing me to kind of take the next step in having representation and finding, you know, the, the route that I was going to take on air. You've been with ESPN now for a dozen plus years, but getting there almost didn't happen. Tell me a story I don't know. What transpired? Yeah, so this was, so after I worked at Fox Sports South um, on the show called SEC Gridiron Live, Hi, I'm Cassidy Hubbard. You'll see me this fall on SEC Gridiron Live, a brand new show, giving you a voice like never before. I want to hear what you have to say. I'll be on Twitter, Facebook, and we'll have viewer polls every week. Charles Davis and Dave Pollack, like before both those guys, you know, are were on game day and, you know, one of the lead NFL on Fox analysts we we worked on this uh little show on fox sports south um and we would cover sec football on on thursdays get everybody set for the weekend in 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 college football and it was a really really fun time but at the time i was flying to atlanta every week commuting back and forth because i also had a job at comcast sportsnet chicago as a as a pa at the time and so it was it was pretty hard and so i decided you know I was going to come back and um, and explore another opportunity uh, in Chicago, and so I got verbally offered a, an opportunity, which was not full time, but it allowed me to stay in Chicago and continue to work in college football. Um, and at the time that I was waiting for my contract to be sent to me in the terms, like we hadn't even agreed on the terms, it was just, "Hey, would you be interested to work on this show?" And I said, yeah, I'm interested in work on this show. And so I had to tell SEC Gridiron Live I wasn't returning, which was, you know, a hard thing to do. Um, but then while we're, I was waiting for this contract, I got, a, I got a call from ESPN saying, hey, would you be up for auditioning for um, our digital host? And you don't say no to ESPN. So they're like, hey, can you come out here by next week? And I'm like, okay. Un understanding that I had, you know, I had this verbal offer and verbal agreement, I, I still needed to explore because the ESPN offer was full time. Um, and so I went out to Bristol, did the audition and was offered the job that next week. And I, you know, talked it over with my, you know, then boyfriend at the time, now husband. And I was like, I, I think I have to do this. And so I had to call the show that I verbally agreed and I was so nervous. I mean, I was, I was 25 at the time and, you know, I don't like, I didn't know how to deal with business conflict and didn't want to make anyone upset with me. Um, and, it, and it was pretty close to the start of the college football season. So I knew that they were going to be in some trouble finding a replacement for me, but I hadn't received a contract yet. So, you know, I had to tell them and it, it, like, I think I developed a twitch in my eye at that time because I was so nervous. And I called, um, you know, the, the head producer um, who over, was overseeing the project and he was not happy at all um, to the point where he told me that I burned every bridge with them that was possibly um, there. And I, you know, I said, I just, you know, this is a full-time opportunity and, um, you know, I'm sorry uh, to disappoint you, but I have to do what's best for my career. 
And, you know, I don't know how he still feels about me, but I think, I think him seeing that I went on to have a successful career at ESPN, I'm hoping there's some forgiveness for whatever inconvenience I caused him um, that summer. But it was a real, you know, grow up moment for me because I could have let my agent at the time handle it, but I knew that like I was putting them in a bad situation. So I wanted to make sure I had that conversation with him. Um, and it was not a fun one. And um, uh, I definitely grew up from that point, but I also didn't look back. You're not even 40 yet, uh, yeah. with so much to look forward to. Do you ever give yourself the lug? I and mean, you, you seem to be very happy in what you're doing. Do you ever give yourself the luxury to think ahead, like, what else do I want to do? Um, I don't know. You know, it's hard. Like, I think um, being at ESPN, when there's so many different opportunities, like the network is so big and there's, we have so much content that we produce and so many shows that we have, it's, it's sometimes hard to like, stay focused on, hey, what I'm doing is exactly what I want to be doing instead of getting like a green eye, like, oh, I want, I, I want to be there or I should be doing that. Or, you know, like, like why, why haven't I gotten a, a look for that? Like now that I've been at ESPN for 12 years, going on 13, um, I, I, I think kind of balancing the wandering eye and realizing like, I want to be doing what I'm good at, you know, like starring in my own role um, and succeeding that way. I think like I've always wanted to cover the NBA. I think I, 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 I'm pretty fortunate to be able to be covering the, the, the sport that I've always wanted to cover. And when I, when I get asked like, what is it that you want to do in the future? I just want to be better at covering this league. Like I was better this year at covering the NBA than I was last year. Let's get to our Cassidy Hubbard who caught up with Jason Tatum. Thanks, Malika. Jason, I, I don't need to tell you the stakes of this. Al Horford did that for you guys on Monday when he says that you guys need to look each other in the eyes and figure it out. What have been the conversations internally and what's the tone in the locker room? Uh, everybody's upbeat and confident, right? Uh, obviously, we know this is the finals, but throughout the playoffs, this is our, we've had three elimination games. And I want to continue to do that because the better I am at reporting during games or hosting during the finals, the more opportunities I will have to cover this league. And so like, I don't, I don't really have like a dream, like, okay, cool. Like if the today show calls one day and it's like, Hey, you know, we want you to replace uh, Savannah Guthrie, then like, okay, that's a dream. But like, I, again, for the 200th time, I am living my dream. Like covering the NBA is exactly what I always wanted to do. Um, so I got there. And so now it's about like just getting better at it um, and, and, and like feeling more and more confident because I think for, for the longest time, I wasn't confident in myself. And then also balancing motherhood and not being able to focus my on preparation like I did before having my daughter also put me at, I felt like I was always kind of trying to keep my head above water. And I, and finally, I feel like I'm, you know, able to balance it better and prepare myself better. And um, I just, I guess I'm just hoping that that continues. I ask this final question to all my guests, if not for broadcasting, 
what would you have been? Like I said, I've been just like, I've always wanted to do this. I mean, I will say, this is probably, this is not really the answer to your question, um, but I don't know if being on air is exactly what I really wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be a producer. You know, I started off my career as a producer, um, working at Intersport and Comcast Sports in Chicago and even Navtech to a certain extent, wanting to do production. And maybe eventually I can shift to being a producer later in my career. Um, Cause I, I love to be a part of the creative process. When I was working on NBA tonight, like every night I would work with the producer on the rundown and you know, what, like what was the best content to, to tackle each night. And I enjoyed it. I, I get a different thrill of being a part of the creative process. So, I mean, still in broadcasting, but outside of broadcasting, I don't know. Believe me, I've had a lot of people who've answered this question. I didn't have a plan B. This was it. Yeah, I didn't have a plan B. I mean, like if, if I don't know, I, like I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> like, well, and I uh, think that. Uh, let me I put it this that. way. Let me put it this way. I didn't have a plan B either. Yeah. What a great pleasure this has been. It's oh. great to talk to someone who grew up here, continued success, and thank you, Cassidy Hubbard, for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you so much, George. It was my pleasure. A big thanks to ESPN, CBS, NBC, Fox Sports South, and Evanston Township High School for those fabulous highlights. And my thanks, as always, to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Rees for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them on the web at mrduct.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.